0: All of us are saying yes to something. Every single one of us, every single day, we're faced with these opportunities. And we're saying yes to certain things, and we're saying no to other things. I believe that there are greater things that God is calling us to say yes to, but how do we know what those greater things are, and how do we also avoid saying yes to those lesser things, even sometimes the good things? That we're saying yes to to avoid getting caught up in the hamster wheel where we're exerting a lot of energy but we're not really doing the things that matter most in other words how do we make sure that we're utilizing our time our effort our energy and our resources in a way that we're actually living in light of eternity which is what we're all called to do and this means in our home as well as here at Bettendorf Christian Church, how do we live a life where we're prioritizing the greater things? If you have your Bible today, let's go over to Matthew chapter 9, and let's look at where Jesus deals with this very subject. Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to look over at the 35th verse, so I still hear the rustling of pages. And so I'm going to give you time because I'm enjoying the sound. Just let it happen i'm enjoying the sound of the rustling of pages actually there were uh, a little more wrestling uh, of pages in this service than there were in the first service so good job second service way to bring your bible and wrestle those pages you're like it's even on gonna be on the screen and you know it's gonna be on the screen and you choose to open the bible anyways i love it absolutely love it matthew chapter 9 let's look at where jesus talked about this issue of eternity in verse 35 to send out laborers into his harvest. Here Jesus, in this moment of being just overwhelmed with the emotion of compassion and seeing what all is happening, how distressed people have been, and he's just observing and serving all of the junk that people have been dealing with and going through. And he's been meeting their needs, and he's been uh, healing their afflictions, and there's just so much to be done. And Jesus makes this statement that prioritizes ...what all of us should prioritize in our lives, and that is this idea of living in light of eternity. Jesus does something so amazing here in this teaching and in this small couple of statements that he makes. He sets the foundation, he sets the groundwork for this idea of what matters most and he talks about a harvest that is plentiful but there are few laborers and so the the desire of jesus is that we would pray that the lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into this harvest and he's saying what really matters is more than just seeing all of these things that we deal with on earth be made better because a lot of times we get focused on the here and now it's all we think about We think about getting our bills paid. We think about our sickness that we're trying to manage and deal with. We're thinking about the stress that we're under. And Jesus sets the priority different as he's meeting their needs, those felt needs in the moment, he still turns to his disciples and says, there really is a great harvest field, but there are not enough people to reap this great harvest. And so pray that the Lord of this harvest is going to send forth laborers, and so he's instructing us to be mindful of something bigger than ourselves he's instructing us to be mindful that there are a lot of people that are hurting and a lot of people who are disconnected and a lot of people who need hope and a lot of people that need to hear this gospel message and he says pray that the lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into this harvest so are we praying That prayer that Jesus commanded us to pray, are we asking him to do that? Are we saying, Lord, we're we're, we're being mindful of the fact that there is a great harvest. This does a few things when we pray this way. Anytime we pray, really. And the purpose of prayer in general is we're deepening our trust deepening our need deepening our understanding of our dependence that we have on God and we're saying God I don't got this I don't have this and I need you and when I pray I'm actually deepening that understanding of that dependence and I'm deepening that because I'm saying Lord I need you to do this and I am trusting you to accomplish this and so when I pray that's me saying that and it does something in my heart and it does something in my mind and then Jesus says to to pray to deepen your dependence upon Him to actually send more labors into the harvest. And when I pray that way, it helps to frame my mind to think in light of eternity because I'm thinking bigger than me. I'm actually aware of things that are bigger than just my situation. Does God care about your situation? Yes, absolutely. Can you pray and ask God for things for yourself? Absolutely. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but here Jesus is specifically telling us as disciples, as followers of Jesus, to be people who are mindful of the bigger picture, to see that the harvest is plentiful and that when we also step up and we say yes to greater things we could be the answer to someone's prayer that they're asking the lord of the harvest to send forth laborers when we engage when we raise our hand and we say here i am lord when we step up when we willingly inconvenience ourselves for the sake of another that's when god can actually use us to actually advance his kingdom let's look over in judges chapter 2 for a minute go back To judges chapter 2 it's going to be in the old testament joshua judges as you're finding judges chapter 2 i want to give you just a little bit of background here this is the leadership of joshua coming to an end joshua took over leadership of helping the people of God to transition out of slavery for over 400 years to the Egyptians Moses was the first one to lead them and then Moses passes away and then Joshua takes over as the leader leading the people of God into the land that God has promised for them and they went through all kinds of stuff they saw all kinds of miracles they saw all kinds of moves of God they saw God do some amazing things they saw things like breakfast every morning just fall from heaven manna from heaven every morning God just provided miraculously for them they saw Pharaoh's army drown when Pharaoh was trying to chase them and and destroy them or enslave them again they saw God do amazing things taking care healing their diseases in a miraculous way they saw the Red Sea split they saw the Jordan River roll up to one side and they walked across both bodies of water on on dry ground as the waters were 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 moved out of the way They saw the walls of Jericho, this mighty fortress city, fall down as they obeyed and trusted God. And they experienced so many amazing miracles of what God did for them. And then at the end of all of this journey, as they journeyed into the promised land, Joshua, the leader, begins to divvy out the land according to the different tribes in this group of people. He says, this tribe goes over this area, this tribe's gonna go over to this land and this land. And then Joshua gives this great speech. And you know this speech if you've ever shopped at Hobby Lobby because you've seen the most famous verse of this speech printed on a piece of wood in a creative way. And it says this, Joshua, at the end, After he gives this great speech, he says, you can do whatever you want to do. You can serve the gods that your father served back in Egypt. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And all the people went, Joshua, Joshua, Joshua. And he crowd surfed after that. And it was like a really cool moment after Joshua gave this amazing speech. And we love that. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We've seen God deliver us. We've seen God do all these miracles. We've seen all these powerful things that could only have happened because of the intervention of the almighty, all-powerful, sovereign God that made what seemed impossible possible for us. And then Judges chapter 2. Let's look at the end of Joshua's life here. Verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people... The people of Israel went each into his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance at Timnath Haris in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Geish. and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers which mean everyone who had those experiences everyone who was there with Joshua they all died and then it says there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel and I just don't understand in that one sentence there had to be a lot that happened and did not happen And we just don't know what happened or did not happen. We can guess. But somewhere, somebody disengaged. Somewhere, somebody checked out. Somewhere, someone stopped telling the story. Somewhere, someone stopped pursuing God. Someone became less thankful. Someone became ungrateful. Someone began to focus on themselves and lost sight of what God had done. Because how on earth could you just be one generation removed from all those miracles? All of those stories and the generation rises up that's now rejecting God and doesn't even want to know him and doesn't want anything to do with him? One generation. I mean, I could understand maybe if there were like 10 generations in between all these miracles, right? That'd make a little bit more sense. But after Joshua and everyone who experienced the mighty move of God died, a generation rose up that didn't know the Lord or the things that he had done. These people didn't want anything to do with God. So here's what we have to get, church. We have to get this in our hearts. When Jesus is telling us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers to reap this great harvest that's so plentiful and there's such few laborers. When it comes to saying yes to greater things, we must realize that the eternal destinations of generations is at stake. This is the what's at stake question answered there are generations that are literally at stake their eternity at stake based on whether or not a generation says here i am lord based on whether or not a generation chooses to engage or remain disengaged oftentimes we look to the past and we cannot depend on the miracles and moves of god from the past to carry forth to the next generation those things were great for that generation But we must say yes to God today, now. It's wonderful what God did in the past. And some of us had this idea, if we could just recapture the past, if God would just do now what he did back then, then other people would see. But the miracles did not sustain to the next generation. Those people needed to seek God on their own. They needed to encounter him on their own. It wasn't just, it wasn't enough for all the trophies and all the great stories of the past, something shifted, something changed to where something else besides God got a hold of their hearts. And they ran with it. And it caused them to reject the very God who had brought them out of slavery. And now they're choosing to enter into a different kind of slavery. One that may be not run by the Egyptians, but one that's completely dominated by selfishness and sin because someone somewhere didn't engage someone somewhere didn't say yes to greater things someone somewhere checked out someone somewhere got unplugged or someone somewhere got offended or got wounded somebody somewhere said i'm done or i've done enough can i tell you something if you're still sucking air god has a plan for you I don't care how old you are, I don't care what your situation in life is, if you still are drawing breath, if God woke you up this morning, there is an opportunity for you to engage and say yes to something greater. There is an opportunity for you to engage and say yes to a lot of things that are driven by self, but there are greater things I believe that he's calling us to. And when we realize that generations are at stake that eternity is at stake. It helps us to live our life with a different priority. It helps us to filter the things that we're willing to say yes to and the things that we're willing to say no to because we can't just depend on the past. I've talked to a lot of pastors and even in our own staff we've had this conversation in varying degrees in various times where we've talked about how the church, the body of Christ, has kind of come out of COVID they've come out of this whole shutdown thing that we've gone through and all the difficulties and all the challenges and everyone's kind of like in restart mode everyone's like in rebuild mode and if we're not careful we'll get stuck in this idea of waiting until things return to the way that they were before the pandemic hit before we ever engage It's almost like we'll sit on our hands and go, well, when things get back to normal or when my life gets back to this normal or when these things begin to happen, and everyone still references things even a year later, pre-pandemic, and they're like, well, you know, well, before the pandemic hit, we had this many people coming to church. Well, before the pandemic hit, we had this many people involved in kids' ministry, or before the pandemic hit, we had this many people, you know, uh, attending worship services or helping in uh, service projects or whatever the case may be, and it's like we're stuck, And I want to help us get unstuck by realizing today is today. And we have to engage today, not wait until things get back to where we want them to be before we engage because there are generations at stake. There is a priority that we're called to live with. And Jesus told us to pray. So are we praying? Are we being mindful that that harvest is plentiful? Are we asking him to send more people, to stir more people, to help more people who are disengaged sitting on the sidelines get engaged, to both minister in the body of Christ to one another. Scripture talks about that a lot, and we've talked about that throughout this series where we are called to wash each other's feet, to minister to one another with our gifts that God has given us, but we're also called to minister to those outside of the body of Christ as well. And as we do this, as we prioritize these things, It helps us to be an answer to those prayers as well as continually be mindful of making decisions in light of eternity. It helps the church to have an urgency like never before. And I believe the Holy Spirit is calling for us. And when I say us, I mean Bettendorf Christian Church. I believe that the Holy Spirit is calling for us to awaken and live with an urgency like never before. Amen, church? We have to stop polishing the trophies of yesterday. And we have to start living with an eternal priority today. And that's going to require something. It's going to require that you and I step out in faith. It's going to require us to have the courage to trust God and know that he's faithful. And know that he's good. And know that he's worthy to be trusted. So let's go over to Hebrews chapter 11. Turn over to Hebrews 11 and we're going to spend the rest of our time in scripture over in hebrews 11 so you can get real comfortable there we're going to read this chapter of hebrews chapter 11 because i think that it's important for us in this message for us to understand the whole of what's happening here in hebrews 11 because a lot of times people just read verses 1 through 6 and they stop there but there's a lot more to hebrews 11 than verses 1 through 6 so here's what scripture says in hebrews 11 chapter uh, chapter 11 verse 1 now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen and so here the writer is trying to help us to understand what faith is and then the writer says this verse 2 for by it the people of old received their commendation by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of god so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible the writer here is trying to help us to understand what faith kind of looks like it's Not something like what you and I can do where we can take scene materials and we can make something because we understand we have to start somewhere with the stuff we've got and we can make something creative and cool out of it. Well, faith is actually like when God just spoke and there was nothing and like when he spoke, then something happened. And that something came out of nothing, but yet when God spoke it, like that was by faith these worlds this world was created and he's saying here this is how this works and it's the same way that the people of old received their commendation so even before jesus came on the scene it's saying these people still had to trust in god they had to trust in something that they hadn't seen they had to trust in something that they knew was coming they knew that salvation was coming they knew redemption was coming they knew that there was going to be this promised messiah they knew there was going to be this one who was going to crush the head of the serpent they didn't know his name they didn't know all the details but they knew God said it, and so they just had to trust it, and it shaped the way that they lived their lives. It shaped their priority, and this is how they received the commendation, is by when God would lead them, God would speak to them, they would say yes, and they would engage. Verse 4 starts to give some examples of this. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and Through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Pay attention to that. We'll come back to that later. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Stop right there. You see here, when when the writer begins to describe Abraham, he says, Abraham's motivation, the reason he was able to trust, is because he was not looking at what was seen. He wasn't looking at all the fear and all the unknowns. He was actually looking for this city that's foundation and builder was god and he knew that god was good verse 11 by faith sarah herself received power to conceive him when she was past age since she considered him faithful who had promised therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore this is the verse i want us to pay attention to here let's get this let's get this verse 13 These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Hold on. Hang on a second. Verse 13, this helps us to understand something. It helps us to see that these people are called Men and women of faith who trusted God, who stepped outside of what was comfortable, who did something that didn't make sense to those around them, and they still had the courage to step out and trust God. Why would they step out and trust God? Because they had their vision, their sights set on something different. It says they were actually looking for a different homeland. They were looking at a different city. There was something that they were fixed on. They were living in light. Of eternity and here in verse 13 it says they all died full of faith having not yet received what was promised now that's not very motivating to you and i because if i'm going to do something for god i want to receive it right here right now i just want it right now I want to know what's the formula, tell me how to do it, tell me step one, step two, step three, tell me how to get what I need to get to make my life easier, to make my life more comfortable, to make everything go my way, and I'll do those things. And people think that that's what Christianity is, is following some type of formula to get things from God and make their lives easier and more comfortable. That's not how these saints of old lived. The saints weren't living for their own comfort. They weren't living for this temporal home. They had their minds and their eyes and their hearts set on something different, and they didn't even get to see it here on the earth. Could you imagine? Wow, you didn't even get to see it, but they still died full of faith. They didn't go, Well, <sighs> I'm on my deathbed. I don't know if God's going to do it or not. Nope, they were like, God's still faithful. He's still worthy of my trust. He's still worthy to be trusted. And they died full of faith, not receiving fully what was promised. I think a lot of times we miss investing in eternity because we want immediate dividends. We want immediate turnaround. We want to see all of the benefit now. What if, what if God called you to say yes to something greater And he called you to invest in something that was making an eternal deposit, whether that's scattering seed, whether that's watering that seed, and you never get to see the fruit of it, but you still invest and trust that God is going to be the one who brings the increase. What if... Your job is just to invest. What if your job is just to plant? What if your job is just to water? Sometimes we get so discouraged when we work and we serve and we say yes to God and we're not seeing things happen the way we want them to. And we want to throw our hands up in the air and we want to give up and we go this is too hard. I don't know if it's worth it. These people of old didn't get to see it. They didn't get to see the promise. They didn't get to see Jesus coming, die on the cross. They didn't get to see him pay the price for the sins of the world but they knew God was faithful they knew he'd promised redemption they knew that there was something good coming and they died full of faith what if it's our job to just live into the glory of God and keep planting and keep watering and it's not about whether or not I get to see the thing happen that I've been investing in my entire life that's just my role for the glory of God would you still say yes Would you still say yes if you spent your entire life just helping to put up the framework of a house and you never got to see the house finished? Would you still enthusiastically continue to show up and do your part knowing that one day it was going to be finished and someone else was going to get to benefit from it? You see, this is this idea of living in light of eternity. This is the idea of laying up treasures in heaven because it's not about us it's not about us as individuals it's about the glory of god and the gospel going forth to the next generation if we make it all about us and we make it about all if we make it all about our generation and we make it about all what we want to experience and what we want we want short-term gains and we want quick wins and we want everything to happen our way right away then we're going to miss investing in the next generation we're going to miss living in the light of eternity and we're going to miss saying yes to greater things because we'll be saying yes to the things we like but not everything that god calls us to It's going to be something that you like it's not always going to be something easy it's not always going to be something convenient as a matter of fact as i look at the pattern of these old testament saints god called them to things that were very inconvenient hey noah spend a hundred years of your life how about it building a boat for what lord because it's going to rain what's rain it's going to be really wild just trust me water's going to like fall from the sky what And then Noah and his whole family is like, hey, guys, it's going to rain. And everybody's like, there goes old crazy Noah, telling everybody it's going to rain. And it's not like he spent, like, I don't know about you, I would have lasted like three months working on the boat. I don't know if I would have lasted 100 years. Like, that's a long time to be working on anything. Some of you are like, my husband's been telling me he's going to remodel the bathroom for the past 100 years. Like... I know what Noah's wife felt like. <laughs> I mean, it's just this huge building project that, and people are just mocking you. People are, are laughing at you. Every opportunity to be discouraged was present. And he still faithfully continued because he knew God was faithful. He knew the one who promised was faithful. God told Abraham to leave his family, everything familiar, everything that he knew, and go out, where do you want me to go, Lord? Into a land I'll show you. What does that even mean? Like which way do I go? Do you I mean is, is it this way? Is it is it over here? You know, I'll show you. I mean, it'd be one thing if God said it's going to be great. It's going to be this 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 and this. I mean, it's going to be like 75, sunny with a high 75 all year round. There's going to, there's like a pool, you know. There's, you know, all the shopping, you know, it's going to be really close, but you're going to kind of be in this really nice neighborhood. It's going to be awesome. Go there. Nope, go somewhere that I will show you. Okay, Lord, here we go. And there were all sorts of bumps along the way. It wasn't convenient. There was all sorts of challenges along the way. You look at all these people of, of old. They, they they didn't do it because they got to see everything happen that God had promised because they didn't. They didn't get to see it all. Scripture is very clear about that. But here's what it continues to say, verse 14. For people who speak this way, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. So if they would have been focused on just the here and now, God would have said you would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, through Isaac your offspring shall be named. He considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Look at this. Moses, who didn't live in the same time period as Jesus on the earth. Scripture says that Moses thought it was more valuable to trust in the promise and to have this reproach upon him instead of enjoying the treasures of Egypt, saying he, he's valuing Jesus, he's valuing the Christ, he's valuing the promise of God of more value, of greater value than the comforts and the pleasures of the palace, of living in Pharaoh's palace, the most powerful superpower on the planet at that time, than living there And being just having a life of ease, a life of comfort. Instead, he intentionally said, I would rather be mistreated with the people of God because Jesus is worth more. Because Jesus is a greater reward. He's looking forward to something. He's seeing beyond the present. By faith, verse 27, he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies." And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. We see all these people who went before us, all of these people, They were commended for their faith, for their trust in God, because they were living in light of eternity. They had a different set of priorities in their life. They all saw glimpses of the fulfilled promise, but it was their heart that valued honoring God above all else that motivated them to continue to trust. Not that life was going to get better here on earth. Not that everything was going to go my way here on earth. Not that I could just have whatever I wanted here on earth. I I don't see that. I see suffering. I see challenges. I see difficulty. But then I see a God who says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I see a God who's telling me that it's laying up treasures in heaven and that there's a greater, more eternal reward that's greater than anything I could receive, any pleasures I could experience here on earth, any wish I could have granted that Jesus is far exceeding any of those things that this world could promise me amen you see this is what motivated them to continue to trust to continue to serve and to continue to say no to lesser things so that they could say yes to the greater things but here's the challenge for us saying no to these things and saying yes to these things is going to require that I say yes to God by saying no to my selfish desire that's not always the easiest Moses said no to a life of ease Abraham said no to staying with families and friends and and just living a life of comfort Abram was very wealthy even before he started uh, out on this journey that we read about in scripture and we see how he could have just said no I'm comfortable no things are going my way I'm doing just fine but instead they continue to trust God and it means that we have to say no to selfish desire. So here's the question I want us to evaluate and ask ourselves, what is God calling us to say no to? We can all see that he's calling us to be a part of this great harvest. The harvest is plentiful, so we say, yeah, I'm supposed to say yes to this harvest, but in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to know what is God calling me to say no to? Because saying no to lesser things enables you to say yes to the greater things. It actually puts you in a position. I'm going to give you a few practical things, and I'm not picking on you if this applies to you. But maybe if God's put on your heart, you've said things like, man, I wish I could support... That, that missionary you know or I wish I could sponsor a child or something like that that God's put on your heart oh man that'd be so great if, if we could do that but maybe you know when things you know get a little better well what are you going to have to say no to in order to position yourself to say yes to that maybe it means that you say no to going through the coffee drive through for a while so that you can have those extra funds to be able to put towards that it's all about living life with an eternal priority what does God calling you to say yes to you're going to have to also answer the question simultaneously then what is God calling me to say no to because for me to say yes to the greater things I'm going to have to learn to say no to some things and and here's the deal all of the things that God's calling us to say no to in order to position ourselves to say yes to greater things are not always bad things they're not always bad I mean yeah we all know obviously we need to say no to like sin right sin is bad amen okay should get a good amen from that one okay Sin is bad, stop doing it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> we should all not do that. So it's not about saying no to necessarily those sinful things that we can clearly see are sin, but things that are not necessarily sinful can become sinful when God is calling us to give them up and we refuse because we would rather have those things than be obedient. I remember a friend of mine in Oklahoma when I was a youth pastor. Um, he, this guy loved the Oklahoma Sooners. Like He was probably the biggest OU fan I ever n- have known in my life. And his truck, he replaced the horn on his truck with the OU fight song. And when he would honk his horn, it would go... And, <tranquil outright> and you knew when Sean was coming, because he loved to honk that horn. And he said that he felt the Lord was calling him to give up Oklahoma Sooner football... For a season and he did and it was one of the hardest things he ever did and he replaced that time with actually serving more in our youth ministry and in our church he had to say no to something in order to say yes to something else and god was wanting to do something in his heart i remember another friend of mine donnie clark donnie was a very wealthy guy still is a very wealthy guy and uh just self-made you know very wealthy affluent individual and uh donnie used to have this amazing truck and every Tuesday Donnie and I would go out for lunch and uh, we would normally go to the Chinese place he would come pick me up and he always made me pay cheapskate um, but <laughs> Donnie would pick me up in this like amazing you know like four-wheel drive extended cab like decked out leather everything you know just amazing expensive truck and one day he pulls up in this blue truck that's like <coughs> I'm like Donnie what is this where's the amazing truck at He said that God put in his heart says, you're full of pride. And he said, uh, I want you to drive this truck for the next couple of years. And he said, I want you to sell your truck. And he saw the truck sitting on the side of the road with for sale sign, and he bought it. And he had to say no to something. It wasn't bad to have a nice truck, but God put it in his heart to do that because God wanted to do something in his heart. So this guy who could afford the truck, it wasn't a money thing. It was a heart thing. God was trying to do something in him. He was saying yes to something greater that doesn't seem great in our eyes, because we would see greater as more. We would see greater as as flashier. And God actually says, No, greater can also be humbling yourself and be less in the eyes of other people. Greater can be intentionally inconveniencing yourself. And that's really what sacrifice is. That's what God's called us to do. Romans chapter twelve, verses one and two. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable act of worship, and don't be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what is the good and and, and holy and acceptable will of God. And so he's saying that we're called in light of the mercies of God, and for what God has done for us, that we should present our bodies as living sacrifice. What does that Word "sacrifice mean? It means something has to die, And that's my selfish desire. It means the things I've been saying yes to that God's calling me to say no to, the things that you're being challenged to say no to right now. Here's really for the Christian what sacrifice means. It means intentionally, on purpose, inconveniencing yourself for the sake of another, and you don't care if you ever get recognized or get the credit or get to see the end result, because these people, man, that we just read about, they died full of faith. They didn't get to see the the promise. So it's not about what you get to experience and what you get to see. It's just, Lord, what's my role? What are you calling me to say yes to? And so, Lord, what what do I need to say no to? What do I need to give up? Maybe saying no to always having to sit in a service each week that will enable you to say yes to serving in our kids' ministry, and our students' ministry, so we can have that other hour open so that a younger generation can hear about Jesus and parents who come can hear the truth preached without distraction and those children can be invested in so that there's not a generation that rises up that hasn't heard the truth of Jesus or maybe saying no to another weeknight of activity so that you can say yes to opening up your home and hosting a group in your home or attending a group, maybe saying no to that afternoon nap today and helping feed over 40,000 people in Honduras by helping us pack. You see, there's always a trade-off and there's something that's gonna influence and impact eternity. There's something that's gonna point people to Jesus. There's something that's gonna make sure that that generation that's coming behind us knows that somebody thought Jesus was important enough For them to intentionally, on purpose, willingly inconvenience themselves so that someone else could benefit from it. Every one of us are called to do this. It's how we respond to the gospel, it's how we respond to the good news about Jesus. That in light of the gospel, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs that that, that you would see the value in this. So, what is God calling you? to say no to in order so that you can say yes. Say yes to those greater things because it is time to engage. It is time for us to engage and and I'm not just even speaking holistically in the body of Christ. I'm, I'm speaking as your pastor here to Bettendorf Christian Church. I understand that all of us have gone through season of transition. I understand that we all went through the coronavirus and all the craziness. I understand we all went through a challenging season with all of the things that happened in the world, with all the rioting and all of the just. It, it just seemed like the whole world was just just going crazy and hopeless. And then the the tension of the the political season that we had in 2020 and how households were being divided over over political issues and over justice issues and and how people were being divided over things as whether or not to put a piece of cloth over your face or not. And people were just, just destroying each other, hurting each other. And then add on top of that here, in the context of our local church that we went through a pastoral transition. We had a building project going on. People are tired. And I know there's been a lot that, that you, could, you could sit back and you could go, I- I'm just gonna sit back for a while. And I, I get it. God sees your tears, God sees your pain, it's real. I'm not minimizing that at all, but I don't want you to get stuck. I don't want you to get stuck in the glory days of yesteryear, how it used to be. I don't want you to get stuck in the wounds and the pain. I don't want you to get stuck in the frustration and the anger. I don't want you to get uh, stuck in the disappointments. And God doesn't want us as a church to be stuck. He doesn't want us sitting on our hands, watching a generation rise up that doesn't know God. He wants us to engage because the harvest is great, amen? It's gonna take somebody who says, you know what? I I don't know what's gonna happen. It's not convenient. This is not the best time, but that's kind of when God like calls people to do stuff. <laughs> it's like when it's like not the best time, right? I mean, look, you can look all throughout examples, all throughout the scriptures. It's not the most ideal time when God calls you, but it's the right time. Because God knows something that you and I miss when we're at our weakest, we're, when we're tired, and we say yes and we re-engage, it all of a sudden doesn't become about you, it becomes about the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. All he's looking for is someone who will step out in faith and say yes. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit uses you and does something in you and through you that you could have never produced on your own. And because you were tired, and because you were disengaged, and because you were discouraged, and you still said yes anyways, God shows up bigger than you could have ever expected. And God does things in you and through you and makes such a wonderful impact for His glory and His kingdom, but He's looking for people who will say, here am I, Lord. And that's what this whole Engage series has been about. You've got gifts. Discover those gifts. Engage those gifts. Use those gifts. Don't get stuck in the past. Get unstuck. Depend on the Holy Spirit and say yes to greater things because that's what He's calling us to do. That's who He's calling us to be. So, Lord, we ask that you would continue to stir in us a passion to live in light of eternity, to see the things we need to say yes to, the things we need to say no to. Help us to step out in faith and have the courage to trust. It's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.